Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Kindly turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. Sunday morning services, we're talking about the love of God. Sunday evening service, we're talking about establishing the will of God by eagerly pursuing the things of God, the things that pertain to the plan of redemption, the things that pertain to the name of Jesus through faith and the operation of power. Wednesday nights, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, eagerly pursuing the things of God, the gifts of the Spirit, the things that He has done for us, provided for us, equipped us with. We're expecting great times. Amen. I said we're expecting great times and great things. Revelation knowledge to flow forth, our hearts to be enlarged, to receive that revelation, that we may go forth in the power of it and walk in the light of it. Amen. Today, we're talking about why begin with love? Lesson 5. We said that God is love, and His love is to lead and guide and direct all the activity of our lives. We said that His love is to gain control over our speech, our conduct, and our words. In order for this to happen, our minds must be equipped with knowledge of what love is. And when I say love, I'm talking about agape love, divine love, and what love does. Agape love, divine love, what it is and what it does, how it acts and how it doesn't act. And the only way we can do that is by going to the Word of God, because that's where the revelation is. Agape love is a new kind of love that came forth from the Father. Jesus brought it here upon this earth, revealed it to us. We are to study it, to find out what it does, what it does not do. We have that revelation right here in the Word of God. And we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, to find out what it does and what it does not do. We said, do not become discouraged and do not become condemned or feel guilty if you're not perfected in all these things. We are to be eagerly pursuing these things. It's a progressive thing. We are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of our God. It does not happen overnight. The only time we should feel guilty and condemned is if we stop pursuing. If we are not in pursuit of these things then I believe our heart will condemn us. I believe that. But if we are eagerly pursuing these things, we find out things that we're not developed in yet, we're not going to feel guilty about it. We're just going to look to the Word of God. We're going to look to the Spirit of God. And we're going to get before the Father's presence and say, Father God, quicken thou me according unto your Word. Quicken thou me according unto your Word. In this area of my life, love is not being perfected at this point. I want to be perfected in love, matured in love. Now quicken me according unto your Word. And of course, He'll do it. But He needs us to cooperate with Him. He needs something to work with, and that is the Word of God. See, the Spirit of God needs something to work with in our lives. And He cannot work in our lives apart from the Word of God. And that's why we must continue to study God's Word along these lines. In verse 4, charity or agape love suffereth long and is kind. Charity or agape envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never our Father, we give thanks to you for your holy written word, for the anointing upon our ears to hear it accurately, our hearts to receive it, our minds to be open unto it. I thank you for revelation knowledge to flow forth freely, for us to be enlarged in our spirit, that we may know, dear Father God, the truth that makes us free and walk in the light thereof. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word and demonstration of the spirit of power, that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men. But in the power of God, in Jesus' name, amen. We're not going to review these others. We're just going to pick it up where it says, Beareth 
all things. Verse 7, beareth all things. Divine love, agape love, the love of God beareth all things. Beareth in the Greek means to endure or to suffer patiently. And also it means to cover with silence. To bear, beareth all things means to endure or to suffer patiently. It means to cover with silence. Two sides to it. To endure or suffer patiently or to cover with silence. And what it means is that agape is willing to overlook the faults, the failures, and the human imperfections of others. And if need be, suffer certain things for righteousness sake. It is willing to overlook the faults and the failures of others. The human imperfections that we all have. And if need be, it is willing to suffer certain things for righteousness sake. And I want you to see that with me. If you hold your place there, put your bookmarker there and go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. And let us remember that Jesus is our example. Jesus was love personified, manifested in the flesh. And all that He did and all that He acted, He didn't act it out by the love of God. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, you notice Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Now, of course, you know the story. just came down from the mountain. And this fellow wanted to have his, the devil cast out. But his disciples could not cast out the devil. So they brought him to Jesus. Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer? The word suffer there is the same Greek word. It's derived from this, this word beareth is, is derived from this Greek word. 430 there in your strongest concordance. And notice it's translated suffer. Suffer. How long shall I suffer you? And it means, now make note of this. It means how long shall I put up with you? You've never told that to your children. You've never told your husband, Honey, how long can I put up with these kids? You never said that. Or how long can I put up with this or put up with that? I just don't know if I could put up with it any longer. You know how that boss is? I don't know if I could put up with him anymore. Well, once again, calm down. Take a rest. Sit back and listen to Jesus. There he was, walking the earth, the perfect Son of God. And he gets these hand-picked individuals to do his will, to follow him. He teaches them how to cast out devils, demonstrates how to walk on water, raise the dead, heal the sick, and everything else. Now it's time for them to go to work. And all of a sudden, they bring this one fellow to him. He's got a devil, and they can't get him delivered or set free. And finally, Jesus just had enough, I guess. And he says, oh, you faithless and perverse generation. Oh, Lord. How long can I put up with you people? I'm glad that he does put up with us. I'll tell you what. Because Jesus demonstrated that although they were that way, faithless, without faith, full of doubt and unbelief, at many times, he still put up with their doubt and unbelief, didn't he? I said, didn't he? Are you not glad that he puts up with our doubt and unbelief? Aren't you glad that he does that for you? Would to God that we'd all be highly perfected and developed in faith. But we're not all there yet, are we? Would to God we all be highly developed and perfected in love. But we're not all there yet, are we? No. Well, he bears up under it all. He bears with us. He bears all things with us. He puts up with us. He puts up with our inabilities. He puts up with our imperfections. He puts up with our faults. He puts up with our shortcomings. All the things that we do that are displeasing to Him, He puts up with those things, knowing that if we'll continue eagerly pursuing these things, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, we're going to grow and develop and mature. So what does He do? He puts up with us. And that's what this means. 
That's what this means. That agape love is willing to put up with the faults, the failures, the human imperfections that we all have, not focusing on them, but to focusing on the good things about people's lives, even if it means that we've got to suffer certain things for righteousness' sake. Love is willing to turn the other cheek. Amen. Because it has an ultimate purpose in mind. And if it's in the life of a Christian, it means for that person to grow and develop in the things of God. If it's in the life of a non-believer, it's for that purpose to come to Jesus Christ, get saved. So love bears up all things. If Jesus can put up with us, we can put up with other people. We could put up with each other. Amen. We all have our own different personalities, character traits, and all that, our own different habits that we've developed in our lives. It's easy to look at the other person and find that person's fault and point it out immediately, just like that. Don't need any help, although you have a lot. We have a lot of help. The devil will help us. I'm telling you, the devil will help us. Do you know that the devil will help you? Point out people's faults and failures and shortcomings, just like that? Absolutely. It's easy. It's difficult to see our own. I have found this to be true in my life included. We say that someone did this or someone did that, and within a period of a month or two, you've done the same identical thing. Only you got upset with them for doing it, but you didn't want anybody else to get upset with you for doing it. Now, come on, say amen or ouch or oh my. It's true. I did that. I, I remember doing that. As a matter of fact, I was driving up the street one day, and I was, I was, I was in the right-of-way, and this person made a right-hand turn in front of me, perfect, just right, no problem, but it was in a truck, and that truck was, you couldn't see things around that truck. It was difficult to see around it, and I was right behind that truck, and a person was just sitting there waiting to turn left. Well, the person saw the truck but didn't see me behind that car. I was exactly right behind that car, behind that truck, and the car couldn't see me. And so I have the right of way. I'm going straight up that way. And this person thought it was okay because this other truck was turning. And the moment that truck turned, this, this car pulled out right in front of me to turn left. Didn't see me there. Thank God, I, I mean, I had control. Didn't, didn't hit the car and stopped quick enough and all that. But I thought, oh, my goodness. Now, why would you do something like that? Why would you do something like that? And I, I held my control and all that. Didn't get upset with the person. You know, if I didn't do the same thing about a month later, I'm there waiting to make a left-hand turn, and there's a, there's a truck coming up the road. I'm telling you, the truck's just coming up the road. And I looked every way, every which way that I could possibly look, back and forth, back and forth. And when I saw a way to, the turn signal was on, when I waited to make sure this truck was turning left, turning right, I was coming out left. Wouldn't you know what I began to go? And there was a, car, a small car hidden right behind that thing. I could not see it. That person wasn't as merciful to me as I was to the other person. How many of you know that? that oh, it's, it's not easy to practice your love walk in an automobile. Did you know that? I'm telling you right now. Try jogging down the road. Try jogging down the road. Those people who drive in car think that people who jog don't belong on the road. See, they feel they don't pay their taxes. And for the life of me, I can understand this because people walk down the road. You know, you ever see people walk to the grocery store on the side of the road? I've seen it all the time. Carrying grocery bags and all that. And they're, you know, they're, they're walking home with their groceries, side of the road. Busy road, busy intersection. Now, drivers don't mind that. But if you go jogging up the road, they're out to get you. I said, they're out to get you. It's okay if they walk with their groceries because, you see, they're just walking and they're going to the store. But they figured you don't belong out there because you're running. You're jog- What's the difference between walking on the road and jogging? No difference. Well, you're going to get hit by a car. Well, they're going to get hit by a car walking, too. See? It's, it's good if you want to practice your, your, your love walk. Get out there and start jogging and dodging cars. You'll, you'll see right away where you're at in love. You'll find out where you're at in love. But once again, we do the same identical thing. We do the same identical thing. You get behind the wheel of the car and I see a jogger jogging down the road. I tell my wife, I know I could get him. I know I can get them. <laughs> Amen. There's just something about it. See, that's the way human nature is. Oh, one, there's a, there's a day that's going to come, my brother and sister. A day is going to come that we're going to be free of all human nature. 
Human imperfections will be gone. Wiped away. Brand new body. Glorified body. And everything that we do will be motivated by the love of God. We'll be dripping with the love of God. God's love flooding our spirit, flowing through our mind, will and emotions, and, and through the new glorified body that we have. And everything that's in motion is motivated by love. Around where there's no ill will, where there's no hurt feelings, no hard feelings, none of that exists anymore. We're free from all those things. Thanks be to God for this glorious revelation that we have. But you see, we're not there yet. We're here right now. And God wants us to do everything within our ability and strength to be perfected in love, to let His love dominate our lives. So if Jesus can put up with our imperfections, if He can put up with our faults, frailties, and failures, then He's saying love, if a person's motivated by love, then we'll be apt to do the same thing. We'll recognize that no one's perfect. We'll recognize that we're growing in the things of God. It's a progressive thing. And we'll recognize that it's our responsibility and duty not to look at those imperfections, but to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ. As the Apostle Paul said, I know no man after the flesh. I only know them in the love of God. Because I recognize that Christ died for all, and in Christ we're all made perfect. No one is perfect after the flesh. Something to remember. The second part of that is found here in Matthew 18. And we'll begin at verse 15. This is the principle that it operates in. Agape is also slow to expose those that sin. And those that do wrong. It is slow to expose. In other words, it covers up the sins of others so as not to expose others' wrongdoings. It follows the principle of Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more than in the mouth of two or three. This is every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Now notice the principle here. Agape love covers up the sins of others. It is Slow to expose the sins of others. And this is how it does it. If your brother has wronged you or trespassed against you in any way, the first place to go is not to the church. The first place to go is not to another brother. The first place to go is not to the intercessory prayer group. The first place to go to is to your brother or to your sister. And then by going to your brother or going to your sister, going to the person who has offended, going to the person who has trespassed, it gives opportunity for that person to ask for forgiveness. And if that person immediately asks for forgiveness knowing that he or she did a wrong deed, then agape love will go further. It will put that Trespass in the sea of forgetfulness and cover it up and just leave it there, never to be brought up again. In connection with that, look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. And you see, what happens by doing this is no one else has to get involved in knowing the wrongdoings of others. And beloved, I believe this is where the body of Christ misses it more than anywhere else. People can be so quick to expose the faults and affairs of others without first going to the person involved. It's important, first go find that person who has wronged you. 
Now, there are certain things we're going to overlook. We're not going to nitpick on, on a person's character flaws and that sort of thing. I'm talking about a grievous offense. I'm talking about a trespass, a sin. Someone who has wronged you. Someone has sinned against you and it has caused hurt inside your heart. And potentially, you may harbor bitterness in your heart because of it. Well, God doesn't want any of it. He wants you to go to the person who has wronged you. He wants you to take it up with that person in private. And in private, it is to be dealt with if it's possible to deal with it that way. That way, it's slow to expose this person's wrongdoing unto others. But if the person will not hear, it follows this whole principle, not just part of it. If the person will not hear, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyhow. It's okay. I'm not even concerned about it. I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm going to continue to do it. Then you go to a brother. Another brother. Person from the church. Somebody who you know is spiritual. And then in the spirit of meekness, both will go, two or three will go, and talk to this brother once again. Point out the wrongdoing. Point out the, whatever the problem is. And if that person then will not hear, see, it's slow to expose. It just doesn't do it right off. It is slow to expose. If that person still will not hear, then you go to the church. And, beloved, this is something that people get in trouble over. I can't imagine having to stand from a pulpit and exposing people to the whole body. Can you imagine that? But, you know, I believe that this is an area where we probably lacked in discipline when it comes to the church. You know, when God did it over there in Ananias and Sapphira, right there before the whole church, everybody was in fear and trembling. I said everybody was in fear and trembling. I believe it will correct a lot of the bad habits that people have. It will correct a lot of the wrongdoings that people get themselves involved in if we saw that kind of judgment take place in the day in which we live. We're living in a day right now, beloved, that, that God's Word is being challenged. Not from without, from within. People are thinking that it's okay to get involved in all kinds of wrongdoing. Wrong actions, sexual immorality, stealing, cheating, lying, and all kinds of things. And yet, it's okay. Disrespecting the office where God has called people. And yet, it's okay. We can get away with it. God doesn't want that. We're to preach the whole counsel of God. God wants us to be obedient to His holy written word. Obedience is better than any sacrifice that we could make. He wants us to align ourselves with His Word, to do things as His Word speaks and says, to follow the guidelines of His Holy Word. And if we love Him, we'll keep His Word. We'll do His commandments. We'll do what He's asked us to do. My brother and sister, when I was at school, it was this way. And believe me, it's no different now. As a matter of fact, I believe it's gotten worse. I was there at school when people, people who were supposedly Christians, and I'm not going to question or challenge whether or not they've ever accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts, but those who named the name of Christ were actually involved in homosexuality, sexual immorality, and in uh, other areas, fornication and all that. They were having beer parties and getting drunk and all that, and some even smoking dope, and thought, I've got liberty in Jesus. Freedom. Liberty. Righteousness. Thank God I'm free. I've had them tell me, just tell me, in discussing these issues, I am so highly developed in faith and in the things of the Spirit, I've come to recognize that grace means I am totally complete in Spirit in Christ. It doesn't matter what I do with my flesh. It doesn't matter what I do with my physical body. I can go out and commit any kind of sin I want to with my body. My spirit doesn't sin. There's no sin in my spirit. When I die, I'm on my way to heaven. Beloved, that's from the pit. And that's deception. That's the epitome of deception. That's not true. There's no truth in that. What a man sows, the man reaps. If he sows to his flesh, he shall of his flesh reap corruption. If he sows to his spirit, he shall of his spirit reap everlasting life. And that's it. God will not be mocked. Can you say amen? Amen. So once again, it follows this principle. Love will cover the multitude of sins. Love is slow to expose. It will bear up under the thing. It will be slow to expose the false and failures of others and the wrongdoings of others. 
it will go through the proper channels and take the proper procedure based on the principles of God's Word. And then only, if need be, will it bring things out in the open so as to prevent the whole body from being destroyed. Because, you see, sin is like a cancer. It will just begin to grow and grow and grow and grow. And if you open up the door to any kind of a wrong spirit, it will begin to come in and take control over that church body. And we don't want that. Go on back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. And once again, this is just offering bits and pieces, some information for study. Love beareth all things. Love also believeth all things. Love believeth. Agape believeth all things. And what this really is, is agape recognizing God's truthfulness and reliability. It is love recognizing God's truthfulness and reliability. That's what faith really is. Faith is love recognizing God's truthfulness and God's reliability. I can depend upon Him. I can depend upon what He has spoken and said in His Word. And it's toward God and it's toward men also. This part of it, love believing all things, is toward God and it's toward man. When it's toward God, it means I believe the things that God has spoken in His Word. I believe those things to be true. I may not have the full revelation of it. I may not fully understand it all. But I've come to, to believe that what God says is, I believe in the integrity of God, in the integrity of His Word. Even though my senses, even though circumstances may dictate otherwise, I have come to believe that God's Word still is true. Beloved, this is an attitude that we need to learn to maintain within our lives. Our circumstances may dictate that what God's Word says is not true at that particular period of time. But the things that we experience in this realm of life are subject to change. God's Word is not subject to change. It will always remain the same, eternally. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. They will remain forever. They'll abide continually forever. And so we recognize that we're not to look at the things that are subject to change with great intensity. We're to look steadfastly into the Word of God because the Word never changes, and love will do that. A person who is motivated by divine love also loves God with that same love and says, You said it, Lord. Your Word has spoken out. It says it is true. My circumstances dictate otherwise, but you know what? I don't challenge the integrity of Your Word. I may not have the full revelation. I may not walking in the full light of it, but Your Word is thus and so. It is true. It is true. I believe in its integrity. I look to use my strength and source of supply no matter what. It's an attitude that we have to develop. It's an attitude that we have to maintain. On the other hand, toward men, it's believing the best about them. And we'll get to that in a minute. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Isaiah chapter 41. And let's give an example here. An instance, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, I believe one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in all the Bible. Of course, that's my personal opinion. I don't know about you, but it might be one of yours after we look through it and study it here just for a moment. Remember, agape that believes all things believes that regardless of circumstances, regardless of, of feeling, what God has spoken in His Word as statement of fact and His promises are true. It doesn't matter whether or not I experience it in my life. What matters is God said it, and because God said it, it's so. And that's it. And I'm going to maintain that attitude because I love Him and I love His commandments and I love His Word. Now, this is what love believes. Fear thou not. Fear is all around us. Fear is ever endeavoring to get into our lives. Fear is a destructive force. It wants to destroy us from within. It wants to tear down our emotions. It wants to dominate rule, govern our lives. It is a destructive force intended to do one thing, and that is to destroy the life of the believer. But God says in His Word, in the midst of it all, fear thou not. But He doesn't stop there. He said, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Underline that. He doesn't just say don't fear. He says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. In other words, agape then will believe that in the midst of all fear. You know, in the midst of that fear, there's the presence of evil. It's like an evil thing that's hovering all around us. It is fear. 
The one who believes in the statement of God says, I will not fear, I need not fear, for my God is with me. In other words, His abiding presence is right here, right now, whether I feel it or whether I don't feel it. The Word said it, and I believe it, and that settles the issue right there once and for all, that my God is with me. He's a big God. He's a great God. He's a mighty God. His manifest presence is right here in my midst. And that presence guarantees our success. That presence guarantees our protection. That presence guarantees our safety. That's a confession that we make based on the authority of God's Word, based on the integrity of God's Word. And love will do that in the midst of the fear and the turmoil. I believe it, Lord. If fear has come against your life, once again, this is what you need to do. This is what I need to do. The Bible never says that these things will not come against us. They will come at us. They will come at us from every direction. But they'll flee from us, praise God, if we'll only... Hold true to God's Word. He goes on to say, Be not dismayed. Now notice, this is what fear is designed to do. To be dismayed means to lose spiritual initiative through sudden fear, anxiety, or great perplexity. It means to lose spiritual initiative through sudden fear, anxiety, or great perplexity. And when fear comes, it's designed to do that very thing. This is how it destroys. Fear then will lead to this anxiety, this perplexity. We're we're perplexed in our minds. We don't know what to do. Turmoil has come. We have no spiritual initiative from within. And you see, if we're going to get help from God, it's going to come through the Spirit. But if He can shut down our spiritual initiative, the enemy through fear has us where He wants us. And so what does God say? Be not dismayed. Fear may have come, its presence is right there, because of a sudden thing that was spoken out against you. Maybe it was an evil report of death, some kind of statement that was made. Whatever the case is, fear has come. It's brought anxiety and great perplexity. It's designed to do that. He says, but don't lose spiritual initiative. Don't let it zap your your spiritual strength. Don't let it drain you of all this spiritual energy that's on the inside of you. Have you ever been there? You try to pray, but yet it's like something's lacking on the inside. It's like you're saying words, but you're not making contact. It's like it's not... But then have you been on the other side of it all? When all of a sudden it's just like a well, a river of living water flowing out of you. And you know that you're forceful and you're powerful. And contact is being made and you're effective in what you're doing. Exactly. This is what fear is designed to do. But you see, agape will do this. My Father's abiding presence is not only with me, it's in me and for me. His presence guarantees my safety, my success, and my protection. I thank God that I will not lose spiritual initiative through this sudden fear, through anxiety or great perplexity. I thank God that my God, notice this, fear not for I am with thee, Be not dismayed, is my God. He said, I am thy God. I am is thy God. The great I am is my God. Do you see what he wants us to do? Love will do this. Say with me, the great I am is my God. The great I am, the God of plenty, who's more than enough, is my God. Do you see how that will change you inside? You can't say that and not rise up in strength. Thank God, the green I am, the one who parted the Red Seas, the waters were congealed, they passed over on dry ground, praise God. The one who allowed the waters to come back on the, uh, on the Egyptians, they all died in the sea. He's my God. The great one, the, the, the mighty one of Israel, who saved them out of all their, their troubles and heartaches. The, the mighty father who raised up Jesus from the dead. He is my God. Hallelujah. You can't help but to rise up in power. You can't help but to get excited about that. Because on the inside, your spirit is being fed with truth. And you see, divine love believeth these things. Agape believeth these things. All those these other things dictate otherwise. And what does he say he will do? I love this. 
He says, first of all, the very first thing he will do when a person loses spiritual initiative, he says, I will strengthen thee. And it means to empower us with supernatural ability, empower us with supernatural strength. He says, I will empower you with supernatural strength, for I am your God. That reminds me of what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 14 through 21, when he said, For this cause of my niece of the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the rich of his glory, to be strengthened with might in your spirit, in the inner man. Strengthened with might in your spirit. Notice how it works. Fear comes. Anxiety comes. Great perplexity comes. All these things come to dictate doom and gloom and destruction. Our spiritual initiative is being drained when all of a sudden we don't know what we're going to do. But then we remember, agape believeth all things. Divine love believes all things. I believe the Word of God. I believe that although my circumstances dictate otherwise, I believe the Word of God. I will not fear, for my God is with me. I will not be dismayed and lose this initiative, because He is the great I Am, is my God. And hallelujah, He is the strength of my life. He empowers me with supernatural ability and supernatural strength so that I can be successful in this life. The very first thing He does is imparts more supernatural, spiritual strength in our innermost being that we can fulfill I have fulfilled His promises and statements of fact in our lives. Never forget it. Never forget it. When you're in that place, never forget it. The first thing He does is strengthens us. Spiritual strength. That we can do all things. Second thing He does, I love this. He says, I will help you. Now that's a pretty good thing right there. If you're out pushing a car because you ran out of gas or because uh, this happened or, or whatever happened, and I came along and says, I'll help you. I'll give you all 152 pounds of my strength. It might do you some good. But if God just happened to appear and He said, It's okay, fella. It's okay, son of mine. It's okay, daughter. I'll help you. Which help would you prefer to have? His, right? I mean, He wouldn't even have to touch the car. He would just have to blow Sneeze, maybe. Take you all the way back home. But you see, we don't, we don't see it that way. We forget about the help, the assistance that comes from above. And that's what it means. Write it down. Help means to assist, to support, to supply what is needed to accomplish an end. It means to assist, to support, to supply what is needed to accomplish an end. God saying, I will come to assist you. I will come to support you. I will come to supply what you need to get the job done. That's what he's saying here. And you know what? Agape believes that. Divine love believeth all things. Although my situation dictates otherwise, we walk around the house saying what? My God who is more than enough, who is the great I am, is my helper now. He is here to assist me. He is here to support me. He is to supply what is needed for me to get the job done. Hallelujah. Now, this here word help carries a strong implication of advance toward an object. And what it means is he's going to come and run to your rescue. He's not just passively walking by. He is saying, I am coming. If you're in trouble, I am coming. I told you that if you're in trouble, I'll be your refuge. I'll be your hiding place. I'll be to you a strong tower, a source of strength and supply. It's saying this. God is saying. I'm not saying it. God is saying this. I will come to assist you. I'll come to help you. I'll come to support you. I'll come to supply what you need. And He is moving. He's advancing towards you in power and strength and in might, in willingness to do what is needed to get the job done. I like that, don't you? And I didn't say He'd do it. Isaiah really didn't say He'd do it. The Spirit of God did through Isaiah. God's speaking here. I will. I am with thee, he's saying. I will help you. And then Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, just write it down. Not to turn to it, just write it down there. says, The Lord is our helper. We're to be content, right, in all things. God will never leave us. Say it with me. He'll never leave me. Never forsake me. See, in the midst of that fear, it's, there's that presence there. Seems like God is at a distance. Miles away from us because of the fear. We lose spiritual initiative. We're drained of spiritual strength. It's gone. 
But once again, he rises up. The one who's motivated by the love of God, who loves God, who loves his word, says it doesn't matter what I feel like. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what my, my circumstances dictate to me. The God that I serve is the God of plenty. He is more than enough. He's the great I am. I will not fear. I'll not lose heart. I'll not lose spiritual initiative. I refuse, for He is the strength of my life. He said, He'll strengthen me. Thank you for your strength and ability, Father God. I will help thee. He's moving right now on my behalf to assist me, to support me, to supply what is needed to get the job done. Do you see that language? Praise God. You ready for it? That you may boldly say, that you may boldly say, I will never leave you nor forsake you that you may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. It believeth all these things. I will not fear. Fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord is my helper. He assists me. He supports me. He supplies what I need to get the job done. He's advancing toward me right now because I'm the object of His love. He loves me. He cares for me. Praise God. He is my helper. He didn't stop there. It would be enough if He stopped right there. But He didn't stop there. He goes on and the last one staggers the mind. Look what He says next. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness, which is a figure of power. The statement here, the expression, with the right hand of my righteousness, is a statement of power, and it means to support us against an enemy. He will lift up his right hand of power to support us against any enemy that we face in life. Love will believe these things. Exodus, quickly. Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. What does it mean for him to say, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my power? This is staggering to the mind. But I'll tell you what, I love it. I rejoice in it. I can believe it. Can you believe it? Well, agape believeth all things. We're believers, not doubters. Let's believe. Let's have envision our God doing these things for us. He's there. I need not fear. He's there. I won't lose heart. I won't lose personal initiative. He says He is there to strengthen me. He supplies the strength that I need. Supernatural ability and strength. He is my helper. He's assisting me, supplying what I need to get the job done. He is now saying, and I am there. If there's an enemy in your face, I am there. And I'm upholding my right hand of righteousness. I'm going to uphold you. I am going to, to deliver you by the power of my right hand is what He's saying. Look at, look at what the Scripture says. Verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. Sounds like the same language, doesn't it? I will prepare Him in habitation. My Father's God. I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the, bo- in, into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord. There it is. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. He says, I'll uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. His right hand has been exalted with power, glorious power. And with this right hand, he dashes in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together and congealed. The flood stood upright as in heap, and the, the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I won't overtake, I will divide the spoil. Has the devil ever told you that? I'm coming after you. I've got your number now. I know where you live now. You think you've got the victory now, but I'm coming. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to follow you every day of your life till I see to it that you are destroyed, utterly destroyed. Well, that's his mouth, and listen to what he's saying. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I'll draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind. 
the, the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises? We've never seen that. Did you ever see that? People say, why do we praise God so much? <laughs> the enemy gets terrified when God is praised. I said, the enemy is terrified when you start praising your God for the answer before it ever comes. Did you hear that? The devil is terrified when you start saying, Thank God my child is delivered and set free. Hallelujah, Father God. I thank you for the victory that we have today. The devil is terrified. He cannot stand in the midst of that praise. He has to run from it as in terror. Fearful in praises. Doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them up. Oh, Lord. When God's right hand goes to work, do you see the things that happens? Thou in mercy hast led forth thy people, which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength. What does he want them? What does he want us to go to once he guides us in his strength? Unto thy holy habitation. Do you see what it's all about, beloved? It comes right on back to us loving him. Right on back to us, entering into His presence once again, thy holy habitation. Oh, thanks be to God. Beloved, I didn't write that. Isaiah didn't write that. Jehovah said it. Jehovah God. And you know what? He's raised up Jesus from the dead by the power of His right hand. A great and a mighty work. We are the redeemed people of the Lord God Almighty. And the power of that right hand belongs to you, and it belongs to me, and it's all in the name of Jesus. Would to God that we would rise up to a place of understanding and revelation of the power of His right hand that's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and go forth, not in fear, not in turmoil, not in loss of spiritual initiative, but go forth in faith and power and the might of God, the strength of God, knowing He is our helper, He assists us, He helps us, He enables us, He equips us. He is the right hand of our righteousness, praise God. Amen. That's why the Bible says that, that no matter how the enemy comes at us, he has to flee from us in every direction. That's why the Bible says no weapon formed against us can prosper. Every tongue that arise against us in judgment is condemned. Why? Because we become the righteousness of God in Christ. He upholds us with His right hand. I wouldn't want to mess with that, would you? Second part of this. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Agape believes what the Word of God says. I'm going to read this to you from the Amplified Bible, 1 Timothy 5. Now, this is talking about agape love finding its lodging in the heart of a child of God. Directed toward the Father in believing His Word, His promises, His statements of fact as being true above all circumstances. It is also involving our attitude toward one another. In our relationships with men, we choose to believe the best about every person. We know that we all have faults and human imperfections, but we choose as an act of our will, as guided by and directed by divine love, to believe the best about one another. Even though you may have discovered this or that or the other thing about a person, you don't choose to play on that. You don't choose to focus in on that in that person's life. You choose to, to find the best that you can believe about that person and go with that. Now, we're not talking about in areas of sin and that sort of thing where, you're gonna, you know, where things need to be dealt with. We're talking about we all have human imperfections. No one is perfect in the flesh. We give room for those imperfections, for a person to grow and to develop in the things of God. As long as people are not walking out of, uh, uh, out of righteousness and into sin, areas of sin and unrighteousness. We don't want that. We believe the best about every person. This also includes our attitudes towards those that God places in positions of authority. And this is something also that I see as being lost in the day in which we live also. In verse 17, let the elders who perform the duties of their office... Well, be considered doubly worthy of honor and of adequate financial support, especially those who labor faithfully in preaching and teaching. That is, of course, the Word of God. 
But I'll go into Hebrews and let's tie something together with that chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And verse 17. Obey, once again from the Amplified Bible, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you, for they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare, as men who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part to let them do this with gladness. Notice that. Do your part to let them do this with gladness. Do your part to let them do this with sadness. Do your part to let them do this with sadness or gladness. Sadness or gladness. Whenever I see a preacher talking with another fellow uh, preacher and he's saying, you know, this used to be a joy, but now it's become a job. I know he's doing his job with sadness. Are you saying that all pastors are right and all men of God are right? I'm not saying that. But partly, part to blame is because they're not able to do the things that they should be doing with gladness. And there's no room for the pastor, there's no room for the evangelist, there's no room for that person who stands in an office equipped by God to grow and develop. We've seen this happen so often in so many cases where people in a body is not willing to work with someone who is in an office. You know, and you may say, well, that's just because you're in an office. No, no. I see it with people who are out there who then enter into offices. They find out that when they were out there, their attitude was a little bit different. But when you get on this side, it's a little bit different. Beloved, what needs to be taught is this. Divine love will respect and honor those that God has equipped and placed in positions of authority. But it is not gullible. It is not gullible. Divine love will not just accept everything that is being spoken and everything that is being said. Divine love will follow the Scriptures. Divine love will try the spirits to determine that what is being spoken, that what is being said, that what is being done is according to the revelation of truth. It will then agree with and it will encourage those in leadership. It will agree with those decisions that are being made because those decisions are accurate following the Word of God, and therefore, it will cause gladness to rise up in the hearts of those who are in leadership. Even if we may disagree out there, we're not going to disagree with the Word of God. And if the Word of God is so, and what's being done is in harmony with the Word of God, then those who are walking in divine love, they'll respect those who are in office and those decisions that are being made. With honor and with respect, we'll submit ourselves to these. Enabling them to do what is necessary. Enabling them to get things done. And maybe it's not said often enough, but there's a different perspective when it comes to ministering and when it comes to being ministered to. Did you know that? There's a tremendously different perspective. People out there very often have partial pictures of things that go on. I'm not just saying in this church. I'm talking about in any church. But very often in getting involved with certain matters... There's a different perspective that's here. Those who are being involved in working with people, working with situations, working with all kinds of things. For example, the construction work, that sort of thing. There's always going to be different perspectives. And in our own thinking, our perspective is right. But there are many reasons, hidden reasons, and until we discuss things and find out things, why certain things can't be done certain ways. And so what we have to do is to respect decisions that are being made and give honor, recognizing and realizing that certain things are being done because of certain reasons. We're not going to do things, especially when you know those in leadership are not going to do things uh, to bring any detriment to this local body or any local body. In dealing with certain situations at hand where, there, where people can be involved in, in wrongdoing and that sort of thing. You know, very often people in the body, they want to know certain things that are going on. You know, what's happening? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? There's where you've got to give honor and respect to those who are in leadership who are dealing with the matters that are at hand. Recognizing that we always don't have the right to know all things that are going on. And you may not know certain things that are going on. Why? Because it's not right to expose the faults, the failures, the sins, the wrongdoings of people publicly. And we wouldn't want to do that. And you wouldn't want that done to you. If we can, we're to resolve matters privately 
take care of situations one-on-one in private situations, working the details out, making sure that everything is a-okay. And the body will very often not get the whole picture of things that are happening. Well, beloved, here's where agape love comes in. Here's where divine love takes over. I recognize and realize that those who are in leadership are not about to bring destruction to this body. I respect the decisions that are being made because I know that that their hearts are right. I know that what is being done is being done as being motivated by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I know that. But once again, you're not gullible. Once again, you'll search the Scriptures. Acts 17.11 says they sought the Word daily to find out whether or not it was of God. 1 John 4.1 says what? Try the spirits. Determine whether they're they're of God or not. Another thing, implementing plans and ideas within the local body. We may have a desire to have this, to have that, to have this, to have that. And you know what? We try to do all those things to please all people. And I'm not just saying here in this body. Anywhere in any church, it's all the same. Things don't always get off the ground as they should because it involves more than just leadership. It involves participation from people. It involves many other different factors of which we get involved in and very often others do not. And so there is, there's always going to be a different perspective when it comes from leadership as opposed to those who are in the local body. And so what are the people to do? What should we do? Support decisions that are being made as we search the Scriptures to determine whether or not the things being done are of God while we try the Spirit's To make sure that they are motivated by the Spirit of God. Don't be gullible. Be informed and enlightened by the Word of God. And then if we have any problems, we sit down intelligently and in the love of God discuss those things. And you know what? I found this to be true. In discussions of of different things, a lot of information was given that enabled people to see the reason why this was done this way, that was done that way. And at this point, until other changes take place, it's the best way we could have done it. But you see, beloved, we can't always do that with people. And I know I'm being vague about this, but I can't get into specifics. But, beloved, it's an attitude that should be maintained in all the hearts and lives of the people of God. I respect and honor those that are in positions of authority. And I was that way when I was in church. I respected the pastor. I had people speak against him, and I wouldn't speak against the pastor. You know how they, why they spoke against this pastor at church I attended? Because he didn't understand the faith walk. The man was never enlightened to it. He didn't understand the faith walk. And so people would uh, say all kinds of different things. And, you know, thank God for what he knew. For what he knew got people saved. For what he knew got people spirit-filled. For what he knew got people in the church and serving God, paying their tithes and doing what was right before God. He didn't know the faith walk. Well, you can't, you can't blame someone for not knowing something like that if he'd never been exposed to it or if he didn't have the full light of it. You know, we should always get before God to know certain things. But these people were ridiculing him and, and, and doing all kinds of different things. We're to show respect to men of God. We're to show respect to those that are in offices of authority. We're to do that. You know, in a spirit of meekness, then we go to people and share things with people. And if they'll receive it, fine. If not, you know what? If not, I wouldn't cause trouble in that church. You know what I'd do? I'd go somewhere else. I said, I'd go somewhere else. Beloved, because... Now, here's what was happening. I don't know why we got off on this, but we did. Here's what was happening. When I came out of Rama, there were many individuals going from Rama Bible Training Center and the churches throughout all this country, throughout all the United States of America. You know what they were doing? They were walking into the churches and saying, Your pastor doesn't preach the Word. Not the word of faith that we've heard. Listen to this. And they go in there and start an uproar. I've had pastors come up to me and say, Brother, I preach the word. I preach the word to the best of my ability. But look, my congregation split down the middle. There's people going this way, people going that way. Some churches where I'm telling you, just split right down the middle. Does God want that? I said, does God want that? See, divine love doesn't do that. Divine love would have gone in there and respected that man's office. And you know what? If invited to come in there and hold a faith class like I was in the one church, you'd go in there and teach it. But you tell the people you respect your pastor. If he doesn't understand these things, at this particular you respect him and you love him and love him in the Lord. And you respect the decision that he's making because he's looking out for the best welfare of this entire local body of believers. And that includes you, your life also. Not everybody's going to see things as we see things. But then little by little, if, if it's possible, if not and you say, I want to be fed the word of faith, then find yourself a place where you can go, but do not destroy the work of God that's being done. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. 
I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.